For me to live is Christ For me to die is gain Every moment in between There'll be joy and there'll be pain I can't worry about the future Or change a thing about my past I've got this moment to believe And I'm gonna make it last I am filled To be emptied This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. Father, too often, knowing we have your ear anytime we want it, we just rush right into the throne room and start calling, Daddy, 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 and we have a list with us. The things that we think are important, the things that we would like to see, the things that we want most. Father, we just want to pause right now and just acknowledge who you are. You are not only our Father, you are our King. You are deserving of our allegiance. You are faithful when we are faithless. And your word is true whether we like it or not. And our desire is to spread your influence to others. Those who already believe and those who are not yet believers. That they would know your goodness. That they would understand your grace. And that they would live in faith, hope, and love. So today, Father, especially, remove us from this teaching. Mm -hmm. Let only your truth pass through our lips. Father, if there's anything that we say that comes from us, no matter how smart or witty or wise it sounds, we pray that it's quickly forgotten. But if it resonates with your word, if it rings with your truth and drips with your grace, then we pray, God, that it takes root in the heart of every person here, that we are changed and transformed because of what you have to say. So get us out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We are, we are living in a post-pandemic world. And uh, I know, right? For some of us, that means that things have gotten more serious. For some of us, that means that we have kind of left the serious things behind and uh, we're just kind of just looking out for number one now and uh, the church has still been trying to figure out how because unlike previous national disasters like 9-11 and the housing crisis and different things that have happened in our past when uh, people flocked to the church to find answers in the pandemic the churches were closed and people had to fend for themselves and some of them thought you know I didn't do so bad all by myself I believe they were wrong to think that, but I also understand the sentiment. And we are still trying to figure out how we're supposed to go forward as the church. And as we do, one of the things that we lament is that there aren't as many people in the churches. And another thing that we lament is that the people who are coming aren't giving as much as they were. And another thing that we lament is that we just don't see as many conversions as we have seen in the past. And we look at that and we say, man, we used to base all of our success on butts, bucks, and baptisms. Mm -hmm. And the world has changed. 
and I believe for the better. Because now, if you are a believer, you have to be willing to stand up for it. Now it's more important than ever for us to understand God's word and to be able to present God in the way he is and not in the way we wish he was. And we are being formed in his image rather than forming him in ours. And where before we had a form of godliness that sometimes denied the power behind it, we are now having to decide what is the most important thing in the church. And so that's what we see our attention being today is sometimes we lose track of what is the most important thing that the church can do. And so we want to explore that. We want to find out what that, what that means and what that looks like. And here at the JAR, um, we express it in every single way that we uh, communicate with you. We talk about being filled by God to be emptied for others. We talk about connecting our extraordinary God to real life. We talk about um, uh, being disciple makers instead of just disciples. And the whole time that we're doing that, it's because as we look at the great commission that Jesus gave us, he did not say, uh, go and make converts. He said, go and make disciples. And when he says that, he doesn't only say that to the apostles, he says it to all of us. And making disciples means, yes, there are some who are not yet believers who need to understand the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But there are also some who are already believers who need to understand what it means to give our full allegiance to him. Yes, he is our savior. He is also our Lord. So our consider question today is something for you to just think about for yourself as we, as we get started, is how does the church make disciples? All right, we are going to be in Acts, Acts chapter 1 today. In the New Testament, here at the JAR, um, we do the New Living Translation just simply because we feel like it's a little bit easier of a read um, and we want people to understand exactly what the gospel is saying but we reference other translations throughout the other thing i wanted to say too and and if nothing else for the people maybe listening on the radio or podcast before we start in acts talking about describing what the word disciple means because i think Mm -hmm. if you've grown up in the church all of your life you understand what that word means But if you're not, didn't grow up your whole life or have never stepped foot in a church before and heard those kinds of teachings, you're like, disciple, what is that? Yes, right. (laughs) You know what I mean? So do you want to briefly just just give a a description, just real short of what that word means for us in the church, the big church? Remember when Jesus, when Jesus appeared and he was uh, baptized by John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit came down, his ministry really started then. The first thing he began to do is call what we call his disciples. Um, and for us, that, that's, for a lot of us, that just means his students. These, these are people who are going to learn from him. But that is not what disciple meant at the time that Jesus was calling these men. They were, there's a reason that they couldn't just a, attend a class every couple of weeks or, um, or three times a week even. Uh, to understand what Jesus was doing. When he was calling them, he said, come and I will make you fishers of men. And they were casting their fishing nets aside. They were giving up their livelihood to devote their whole lives to the one that they called their rabbi or their teacher. And so they were called the Talmudim. And these are people who not only wanted to know what the teacher taught, 
They wanted to know how he lived it out. They wanted to look like him. They wanted to act like him. They wanted to think like him. They wanted to speak like him. They wanted to smell like him if they could. Everything that they did was so that they could be more like their rabbi and in that way prepare themselves for the next generation and to help the next generation. Then maybe then they would end up being the rabbi. And when they were being followed, they were now following <clears throat> the same teaching that the first rabbi gave. So when these men came and learned under Jesus for three years, they traveled with him, they ate with him, they slept with him, they joked with him, they teased each other about bodily functions. They, they had, uh, you know, dances uh, in, in, at wedding feasts and things like that. There were everything that you can think of that humanity went through, these men went through together. And on top of that, they always had this entourage of women with them. And men and women together were learning what it means to follow this man who seemed to be greater and larger than life. And so when we talk about being disciples, we are not just talking about going to a couple of Bible studies. We're not talking about attending church a few times a month. What we're saying is this is deciding that the man Jesus is so important to follow that we are going to devote everything we do, everything we say, everything we think to him. That's what it means to be a disciple. And if you are then doing that, you are going to start attracting people because Jesus is <laughs> he is love and joy and grace and patience and peace and all of these things. He is also uh, confronting us and asking us to be better than we've ever been before. He's giving us uh, teaching that helps us to understand what that love looks less like what the world wants it to look like and more like what God wants it to look like. And what does that mean? And as he's doing that, we are learning from him. And then that gives us a chance to teach the next person. And so Paul says it this way. We're going to talk about it later. Follow me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we're all playing follow the leader. But the one in front is not a pastor. It's not a rabbi. It's not Confucius or Buddha. It's Jesus. That's right. All right. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. We're going to read this together and then break it down. But before we do that, I just want to... When we're looking at the book of Acts, it was written by Luke, one of the disciples, um, and he's writing to a man named Theophilus. Lophilus. You got it right the earlier. I do it so. every time. Theophilus. <laughs> Theophilus. That's right. Theophilus. We'll call him Theo. Yes. Okay. And he's writing to a man named Theo, and from the sound of Theo's name, he's probably a Roman official, um, one whom Luke was probably helping to become a disciple of Jesus. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke to explain the things that Jesus did and said. And then the second book of Acts is a follow-up to Luke with an explanation of how the apostles completed that task that Jesus gave them. And, and the Acts of the Apostles <clears throat> covers about the first 30 years or so, 20, 30 years right. of the church. And right. it, it's the only book in Scripture that doesn't end. It, it, it just stops where the church history had gone so far. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to remember. Okay. So let's start in verse 1. In my first book, I told you, Theo, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Yeah. Once he was eating with them, and he com or commanded to them... 
Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I had told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Absolutely. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about what it means to be a disciple and a disciple maker. But we want you to understand that that it comes from this passage. This is the transition passage. This is going from Jesus has been one doing the ministry and he's allowed the apostles to be a part of that. Not just the apostles, but sometimes he would send as many as 70 out uh, to do his bidding and to spread the news. And the news that was being spread, the good news is the kingdom of God is at hand. And so here he is now that he has risen and it says he, he appeared to them many times over 40 days to make sure they knew he really was alive. He really had risen. He really had defied the grave. And as he was doing, it, he was teaching them, giving them further instruction on the Holy Spirit and on the kingdom of God. And as he did that, um, he was preparing them for what was going to happen next. But even with imagine this, you get to spend 40 days with the resurrected Jesus He's proving that he really is alive. He's eating with you. He's drinking with you. All the things he did before, but now he is resurrected and he has power from on high. And here in a moment, in this passage here, he's going to ascend and go away. And now you've got to follow in his footsteps. And this is a man who was the perfect sacrifice because he lived a perfect life. And he's now said, follow me. By the way, I want you to teach the others too. And when he does that, if I'm Peter or Andrew or Nathaniel or Bartholomew, I am shaking in my boots. I'm quivering in my sandals because I know myself well enough to know that I cannot live up to that. I don't have the power to make that happen. So before he even leaves, Jesus says, don't you worry. You don't have the power, but I do. And I need to go away so that he can come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he'd already said this. And one of my favorite passages of scripture is John 14 to 17, the the priestly prayer. And Jesus just, it's like famous last words. Like you're doing a eulogy and you were like, um, these are the things that I want my people to know that I love very much. These are the lessons I want you to learn. And in it, he talks about the Holy Spirit and he says, I told you I'm going away and you're sad about it, but I'm telling you it's better for me to go away because when I do, then the Father can send the comforter and that Holy Spirit is going to be the power that allows you. And that Holy Spirit is going to be my witness and you will also be my witnesses. Listen to how that works. He's going to be my witness and you also will be a witness. So it's now no longer you that does it. It's him in you. That does it. And so we needed to see this. We need to see that Jesus is letting them know. I already know you don't have the power. That's why we're sending it from on high. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to empower you to do the things that you never thought you could do. Conquer sin and death. Tell about Jesus. Live a life of peace. All of those things that seem so difficult today in our anxious 
anxiety-ridden world where we wonder uh, if the next the person next to us is going to be here next year because of COVID and strep and the flu, or because of the Ukraine war, or the Israel war, or the whatever, or because the Democrats or the Republicans are in office, or because there's gun rights or there are not gun rights. And we look at all of this stuff and we're like, oh my goodness, is, is the school system going to serve my kid well? Is the, are the, is the local government going to make the right decisions? Is my family going to stay together? And God says, chill out. I've given you power to conquer all of that if you would just listen to him. And so as we are learning about that and as we are allowing ourselves to experience that, then we need to recognize that it all stems from his, his willingness to give us the power and then to give us the commission. And the great commission is that we would go into all the world. It, actually, the Greek says, as you go into the world. So wherever you're going, it, you don't have to go somewhere special. You don't have to go to Zimbabwe. You don't have to go to Bulgaria. You don't have to go to uh, Kamchatka. You just have to go where you're going. And as you go, make disciples of everyone you meet. Baptizing them for those who are not yet believers and teaching them for those who are already believers. And so when he gave that, he didn't just give it to the apostles. He also gave it to the whole church. We are all called to make disciples for the church. So it must not be that hard because I'm just a dummy <laughs> turned loose with the Holy Spirit. And all I can do, um, I love um, Pastor Chuck McKennell over at H2O. He, his, one of his favorite lines is, when God called me, he factored in my stupid. <laughs> and he did. He knows what I get wrong. He knows what my penchant is. He knows what my sins are. He knows what my mistakes are. And he says, great, I'm going to use all of those. I'm going to use all of those to reach somebody that no one else can reach. If you will just listen to me. Well, and I think that God uses the book of Acts. He uses Luke to write this book to show us we are to follow like the apostles. Yes. The apostles are that bridge, yes. right? Like you talked about from yes. Luke to Acts. It's that bridge. It's the next step. Once Jesus is gone away, back up into heaven, he's telling us, listen, even my boys were nervous. Yes. Even yes. my boys were impatient. Yes. God, when's your kingdom coming? Is it coming now? Is it coming now? Is it coming now? Right? We see that in that passage. Yeah. They've seen all of this. But in verse 7, they're still impatient. And, and they're they still, and they're asking for the wrong kingdom. <laughs> right? They're waiting for him to set up an earthly kingdom, right. even now. Right. And he's going, you don't understand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Wait, power's right. coming. So what Acts proves is that the great, like he said, the great commission is for the whole church. I love how Aubrey Malf, is it Malfers, in his book, Strategic Disciple Making, describes the obedience of the apostles. Because that's key, right? Right. God is asking us to be obedient, to be disciple makers, right? To love people where they are. And he, he says, the fact that the Great Commission applies to all of us, he says, the book of Acts makes it very clear that the disciples took on the primary leadership role in the early church as apostles. And their mission in turn becomes the church's mission. And we say church, we don't mean just at the jar, right? We're talking about the big C, not the little C, right. but all the little right. C's combined, right. right? What Jesus gave to them as disciples, he gives to all of us who are his disciples, who are yes. his followers and his believers. Yes. So what's that mean for us? What's that mean for us that the Great Commission is for the whole church? That means a disciple-making church will sacrifice personal preferences, mm. 
I'm gonna get, it's gonna get oh, real for yeah. a second. <laughs> personal preferences, personal comfort to obey the Great Commission. Yes. Now, you came to Christ at 21. Mm -hmm. I was in the church from the, I think the time I took my first breath. My daddy was a pastor. I grew up in the church my whole life. And I've seen it. There is such a thing as church trauma. There yes. is such a thing as churches that don't always get it right because churches are full of people and people make mistakes. We call it post-traumatic right? sanctuary disorder. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. It happens because we're people gathering together and yes. we're not perfect. That's why we need Jesus. As yes. I say that phrase all the time. Right. But what that means is, okay, if the carpet's not the right color or the sanctuary's not set up the way you want it. Uh -huh. Or, or the music is different than you thought. You're putting money in the plate. Mm. And they do something that you wouldn't go to. Yeah. Right? That's not what it's about. Yes. Being a disciple maker, we gather together to learn how to disciple each other. Mm -hmm. Right? But we don't come solely for what we're going to get. And that's what makes, that's part of the Great Commission. For the whole church that means a disciple making church you're gonna know when you come into that building whether they're a disciple making church or whether it's there i'm, I'm here to get only what i want mm -hmm. i stepped on some toes yeah. but i'm just preaching yeah. the truth. i'm glad you i'm glad it, you it's said just it. true yeah. um and and you're gonna know that you and i have visited many churches in different places not just here in ardmore in oklahoma right. and, but every other places and you can always tell when you walk in the door. Mm -hmm. The spirit yes. is here. Yes. yes. And this they care about disciple making. They care about them lifting each other up and following the one that we're supposed to be following. It's not just about following, it's a lifestyle. It's the way that you're doing and living your life. Absolutely. So I just wanted to say that. Absolutely. And in the process of that, God God knew that we would need people who were who were uh, honed in on it and who were learning enough where they could then teach the people behind them. He knew that we would need that. So it's not a surprise then that we have people who are devoting their lives to a calling to be a part of that leadership, to do the things that are necessary to tell the rest of the church what they are finding out in scripture as they do heavy study. The problem is we sometimes leave it there, right? Uh, but it's still important. Even if we, even if we learn how not to leave it there, we still need leaders. Right, right. So part <coughs> of being a disciple, then I thought you were going to say it. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm we disciple through up. preaching and pastoral leadership. Yes, preaching and pastoral leadership. So Ephesians chapter four, I'm just going to read it. Talks about um, those leaders. It says, "Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church: the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists." the pastors and teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people mm -hmm. to do his work and build up the church. Now, does it say their responsibility is to do everything for you and make sure you have everything in your phone and in your, <laughs> in your Bible? And, um, I don't think so. Uh, it says they're supposed to be, uh, <laughs> they're supposed to have a long blonde hair and short black hair, have a mustache without any facial hair. Um, the, all, all of those things that we expect of our no. preachers, um, they have to be in the office 40 hours a week so that we can reach them, but they have to be at the hospital every time somebody is sick. Um, and we, what we do is we set ourselves up as if they are the ones who are representing God in the world. 
However, even though that is true, sometimes, and I have fallen prey to this myself as a leader in the church, it feels so good to get that slap on the back because you were there at the hospital when they needed you. It feels so good for somebody to say, Pastor, that was a great sermon. You just kind of bustle up. Yeah, that was, that was pretty good, wasn't it? That one thing I said, man, it was awesome, wasn't it, right? I, I worked on that for two hours before I got the wording right. And so that it's very easy for us to get to a place where we think that leading and pastoring is about creating our own little kingdom and our own little idea of what the world should look like if it were following God. When what we should be doing is humbly coming before God and saying, teach me, correct me, grow me, Help me to be vulnerable. Help me to admit my mistakes. Help me to know that I am in a, a valuable position, but I am not the most important person in the church. Right. Every single person in the church has the same value. Paul says it this way. We all are members. Some of us are noble. Some of us ignoble. Or, you know, some of us are, are, seem to have importance based on what the world thinks. And some, of, some seem to be in the background and nobody even knows that they're doing it. But it can't be done. And I will tell you this as a pastor. I know this is true. If I didn't have coffee makers and deacons and uh, handout printers and uh, writers and sound system guys, vacuum sweepers, toilet cleaners. we now that now that we are planting a church, we know we need you guys <laughs> uh, because too often in a church plant, you end up doing a lot of that stuff until you gather enough people. And the truth is that every time that we have to do a different job, it keeps us from focusing on the calling. I have a confession that God to make. Has given us. I'm 50 years old and I've been in the church since I took my first breath. But this is the first church where I've ever cleaned the toilets. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I believe it. I believe and that's, it. I shouldn't say, I shouldn't be able to sit here and, but I'll yeah. confess it. I mean, part of our authenticity, the A for jars. Yes, that's being right. Real. Just being real. That's I'll right. be honest. This is the first church. I mean, not that, you know, we didn't have cleanup days at the church right. when I was growing up. And we didn't do service projects around the community. And I cleaned toilets. Right, right. But to actually be the one who's making sure that the bathrooms are clean every week. Yeah. That's new for me. I mean, I've never had to do that before, but I'll tell you this yeah. much. It just reminds you and keeps you humble. Mm-hmm. No matter what position you hold in the church, whether it's behind the scenes or whether it's up on the platform, you matter to God. And I love what he says back to Ephesians 4. It says, this will continue. It says, well, let's go back. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity mm-hmm. in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. There ain't nothing more that builds you up and bonds you is when you got to sit down and clean a toilet. <laughs> clean a toilet, that's right. Right? That's right. Or work together in the clothes closet and go through, what, eight bags of, of clothing that's been donated. Yes. And you have to figure out... How are we going to make this work and how are we going to get it all put out there and give away to the people that need it the most? And so there's something about serving together and that's important. But apostles and prophets were foundational. Pastors, teachers, and evangelists remain to equip the church. And the body is built up through the teaching of the word. That's right. The teaching of the word helps us mature as disciples of Christ. John 8, 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word... 
you are truly my disciples. Yes. So a few things, like I said, is the Holy Spirit in, in your small C church or attending or where you're going? Is the Spirit there? Does it have apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers that are willing to clean your toilets but also disciple you? Yes. Right? Yes. And then most importantly, is the word being taught? Is it yes. true to what it's meant to be? And that leads us into the next thing, which is we disciple through personal faithfulness. Yes. Paul sent Timothy to a church in 1 Corinthians. He said, that's why I have sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of how I follow Christ Jesus, just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. So like Michael said, later on in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I, I urge you, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And we hear that and we think, okay, but can you can you say follow me? We, personally, I'm asking you that question. Can you say follow me? Admittedly, it's hard, right? It's hard because we know what all of our weaknesses are. You know, if I have a coworker that I'm at work with and she comes to Christ because I God was able to have me us through our relationship and the, and she's a new believer. To then have the next step in the guts to say, follow me as I follow Christ. <laughs> That's scary. Because yeah. I know what my weaknesses are. And, and I know that I can't do it without him. But following doesn't mean do what I did in the past. That's right. Right? This is key. Following doesn't mean do what I did in the past. It means go where I am going in the future. Yes. So come along with me. Don't look at what I did in the past. Follow me as I follow Christ now. And together, we'll learn how I, I, to do that. Every once in a while, um, we, we can't help it. We're too close to the train tracks. We'll just hear the train whistle uh, as we're going through our services. And, and, and I, I think there's something good about that because it reminds us that we should all be that one track minded, that there's no way to get us off the tracks. Matter of fact, if we go off the track, we derail. And so how do we stay on that track and, and still keep going to the right place? Um, and we can sometimes get lost in what we've done to take. Uh, uh, this morning, uh, Pastor Christie was talking about uh, getting off ramps, you know, going on to off ramps, making exchanges and getting off. But there's always an on ramp back on. Right. And the idea is to get back on the track, not to worry about how far off you got, but to get back on the track and keep getting back on the track. You will be amazed what an influence it is to the people in your life if you were willing to say, I was wrong there. I didn't act the way that I should. It's not how God would want me to act. So get, I'm going to get back on track. And the two best tools you have in your tool, in your tool belt are please forgive me and I forgive you. Mm -hmm. Please forgive me and I forgive you. And your personal faithfulness then is not to your perfection, but to the God who loves you in spite of your perfection. And those two phrases help the person who's following you to know, I'm not following them, I'm following Christ. They're just further along the path than I am, so I know where they're headed. God just gave this to me. My mama and my brother drove down here from Indiana for Christmas, 15 hour drive. <laughs> and they got to a certain part in the dark and my brother wasn't quite sure how to it, they were in oklahoma but it was already dark right they come the night before actually mm -hmm. they didn't right. come they came on saturday night and um 
they were they got to Oklahoma and you know that part of Oklahoma once you get past the city it's just nothing but yeah. nothing but and, and they were not on 35 planes. they were on 99 so yeah they, okay so, so it's totally yeah. dark pitch dark well come to find out my brother was driving my mom was in the passenger seat and they got to the part where there was some construction and it did this kind of funky thing that it did and he wasn't sure where to go well they wound up missing it having to go all the way down, turn around, come all the way back, <laughs> right. you know, and, and, and my brother said, he said for a moment, he goes, you know, it's one thing in the daytime when you can kind of see mm. with the signs and you can see where the cones are. Yeah, he said, but when I was, it was dark and I couldn't see, there was no light. He said, and my, and mom was on the phone going, go left, go right, go there, go straight. <laughs> like she's telling him where to go. And he's like, I don't know where to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so he, he's like, to keep from hitting anything or going into a field with a cow somewhere, right? He just kind of went off where he needed to go, but it wasn't quite right. And so my mom looked at the GPS and she said, turn around and go back this way, right? And I think about as, as believers, as fellow sisters and brothers in Christ, that's what we do, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah. That personal faithfulness is, Margaret, I promise you that if we're in the car together in this world we call life and it's dark and there's no light for you and me, and I veer off wrong, you're going to make sure yeah. that I'm back on the right road or I'm going to make sure you're back on the right road, right? We're gonna, and so we don't end up in the pasture with the cow. You got right? to check right? the GPS. Right, check the GPS. Check the GPS. Right? That's personal the, the faithfulness. Scripture. I'm faithful to yeah. you. You're faithful to me without judgment, but with yes. love. Yes. That's right. Yeah. So we don't get lost in the pasture with the cow. That also goes okay? with if you go to the restroom and it's not clean. Just love on her anyway. <laughs> she didn't get to it this week. Sean so. so. MacArthur says it this way. You need to tell the person you are discipling. I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. You don't say it proudly. You say it humbly. Understanding your own weakness. And your example will be a great encouragement because a perfect person would be too hard to follow. Amen. 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 All right. Amen. So that really hits home for the next part which is we disciple through our homes. And this is one of the things that we really struggle with because even in the Christian world, homes are broken apart in different ways. It may just be an estrangement between two uh, in, the, in the relationship, or it may be that um, they haven't brought God into their home uh, the way that they maybe God would want them to. And all of a sudden, they've got this home that is not uh, glorifying God, but they want to. And they don't know, how do I go about, how, how do I make that work? Um, but there are many of us who have pretty good home lives, but we are still not glorifying God with it. We are keeping it to ourselves. Um, and at the same time, I know, I, I was sitting in a, a Bible college class a long time ago, and uh, the, the teacher said, how many of you plan on having kids? And a lot of us raised our hands, and he said, well, he said, think about this. If you have four kids one of them is going to turn away from Christ. I didn't want to have four kids. But we got to three kids, like, I think we're done. Because <laughs> if we have three, they're all going to be fine. But if we have that fourth kid, who knows? You know, um, but, uh, uh, but here's the thing. Your, your kids, your spouse, your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, your uncles, your aunts, your cousins, your friends who stay in your house, Whoever it is, they all have free will. They all have the opportunity to say yes or no. 
to God in every decision, every day. And so the way that we can disciple through our homes is by deciding no matter what else happens in this home, I am going to do my best to follow him. And I'll be an example for them so that my unbelieving husband or my uh, unbelieving significant other or my unbelieving uncle can look at that and say, oh, or my already believing spouse can say, mm, maybe I need to maybe I need to reconsider that. Our personal faithfulness inside our homes is how that starts. Mm -hmm. Paul's relationship with Timothy is a great example of that. Um, coming from a Christian home, it says in yes. um, in Second Timothy, it says um, that, or in Philippians first, almost about Philippians. Paul trained Timothy, but he regarded Timothy, like I said before, as a son in Philippians chapter two, verses twenty-two. But before Paul ever knew Timothy, his mother and grandmother taught him to love God, and Paul recognizes the irreplaceable impact that that made in young Timothy's life. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. So Tim first learned in his home, right? Grandmas are important. Timothy first right. learned in his home, and then Paul built upon that foundation. Yes. Yes. Right? And yes. here at the jar, we embrace the importance of discipleship that takes place in the home. That's why we have a family That's, pastor. That was our first look um, for someone um, who was going to join us, was someone who could yes. help us reach families. Uh, she is not our children's director. She is not our youth pastor. She is our family, family. pastor because we believe that's what God's <laughs> called her to do. We firmly believe that it begins in the home. And I just want to throw this out to you guys. There are eight, as we go into the new year, into 2024, there are 8,760 total hours in a calendar year. If your family, and I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty, I'm just letting you know, okay? If your family comes every Sunday for a year and never misses, it is still only 72 hours total out of that 8,760 hours, which equals three days three days. Now, typical Americans, normally, most folks, we come 1.5 days out of 365 uh, days per, a year. Per month. Or per month, one, yeah. One point, one five well, weeks per month. Yeah. So basically it comes to two times per month, which is half of that total, which is 36 hours, which equals one and a half days out of 365. So you think about that. When I did the numbers, I was like, wow. You know, and I'm not saying the more church you do, the more you believe <laughs> yeah. in Jesus. That's yes. not what I'm saying. Yes. But what I'm saying is the church, the small C church can't do it all for you. That's right. That's right. You, it starts in the home. Right. And you have to raise your children and you have to raise your grandchildren and you have to be telling them who Jesus is. Yes. Because if you rely solely on the church that you attend or that you go to or that you visit, it's not going to be enough. And when you think about that one and a half days out of the entire year total that you attend church or the maximum, maybe three days yeah. total. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? mean? You, you could add Sunday much. nights and Wednesdays and only get to a week. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but the idea there isn't to say, how dare you not go to church? Right. The idea there is to say, 
going to church is a part of you learning enough to be able to disciple the people inside your home. You can then become the first ministers. And that's one of the things we talked about when we talked about going into the ministry is our family has to be our first ministry, then the church. Um, so that if we take care of our household, we know we are able to take care of the household of God. Right. So we disciple by passing the baton. Yes. Right? There are four generations. Acts shows us that. Starts with Paul, then Timothy, then from Timothy to the faithful men that Timothy taught. It says, and then entrust, from there to others. Entrust the truth to faithful men mm -hmm. who will then be able to teach others. Mm -hmm. So we disciple by passing the baton and making disciples is for everyone. Mm -hmm. You may feel that you don't know much. Find someone, if, if that's true, you're thinking, I'm a new believer. I don't know, I don't know, right? Find another woman, find another man that you can confide in, that you can talk to, and learn from each other. Learn from each other. And, and here's the thing. We, we, have, we have split the concept of discipleship and evangelism so that we think of it as two different things with two completely different skill sets. But the truth is both are discipling. The only thing that changes is that person's belief system. If they do not yet believe, then you are introducing them to Christ. But if they already believe, you are still introducing them to new things about Christ that they may not know. Mm -hmm. And so we are called to disciple the already and the not yet. And so now I, now I don't have to, it's, I, I don't have to have this magic formula that will make someone say yes and pray the right prayer. What I have to have is personal faithfulness that I begin with in my home, that I right. then extend to my church, that I then extend into my job, into my shopping, into my hobbies, into my games, into my friendships, into my relationships, into everything that I do, so that everyone who sees me sees Jesus with skin on to some degree. Right. And I may not be perfect, but there is always going to be someone around me who knows less than I do. Right. And I like the phrase, take what you've learned and share it with somebody else. You know, sometimes we come, we come to this small C church because we need filled and we need that, that vessel, right? We are jars of clay. We need that filled to be able to empty for others. But, and so sometimes we come to be filled. Sometimes we come to empty. And then sometimes we come and we may hear the same story we've yes, heard our whole lives. But the pastor or the teacher or the prophet or whatever at that moment is making that comment. And you're thinking, well, this really doesn't apply to me. But ask yourself this question. Can it apply to who, you, who else you're reaching? Yes. Take that kernel, tuck it away in your heart and in your mind, because you may be able to share that with somebody else down the road that you're discipling. As you're hearing all of that, it may be, I, uh, first of all, there's no plan B. Plan A is the church reaches the world. There's no plan B. God, through Christ, is in his Holy Spirit, is empowering us to reach the world with his message of hope. There's no plan B. That is daunting. So I have to be personally faithful. I have to be that in my home. I have to do that when I go to church. And then I also have to do that when I go to work and I shop and all those things. How in the world am I going to do that? I don't have the power to do that, which is why we started where we started. Mm -hmm. Because you don't need the power. You're gifted by the Holy Spirit to disciple. Back to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. This is supernatural power. Yes. Add God's super to your natural. Yes. Whatever your gifts may be, fine. But add that super to your natural. Um, I love Batman. Batman's my favorite <laughs> superhero. Yes. Why? 
because he's introverted, intelligent Bruce Wayne goes into his cave and comes out a superhero. I thought you was going to say because it was Christian Bale and Ben Affleck. <laughs> that's not why? Okay, I'll just check. Right? Because in my opinion, he's the best superhero out there because he doesn't have Krypton stuff. You know, yeah. <laughs> he's just, he has his gifts yeah. of get gizmos and gadgets, right? But what's on the inside of Batman? Why? What drives him to do the things that he does, right? And for us, what drives us to be a follower of Christ? What reminds us of who we are in him and that we're his child? That's that Holy Spirit, right? That supernatural power. Second right. Corinthians 4, 7, we yeah. have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That's our key passage here at the jar. That's why we called it the jar. We are earth and earth earthly vessels and we are jars of clay and we hold that surpassing power that resurrection power we sang about earlier and we're not supposed to hide it in the jar right we're supposed to empty it for others so that's why we we when we chose jar and we talked about our core values we decided on joy authenticity and relationship because if we we if we decided on perfection or we decided on following god's word all the time um, all of those things that you would normally think of in church. I, I've got to, I can't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. I, I have to be careful what I do and how I operate. I need to act like the church and be the church all the time. And if I don't, then God's going to be upset at me and be mad at me. And we realize that the, the church needs to hear the message that God is going to do the work. Mm -hmm. There is a finished work of Christ that gives us salvation. There's an unfinished work of Christ where he, through the church, is making an influence on the world and my job is in joy to believe and trust in him no matter the circumstances and in authenticity admit my mistakes as well as my successes and in relationship make sure that I love the other person as much as God loves them. And when I do that, you know what's going to naturally come out of that? Following the law. Doing all of the things that we would need to do to obey because we will be putting others first because we put God before even them. And we are living out what he has given right. us. We live in the spirit-filled life, bearing the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right. goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Jesus gave us a power. What kind of power? A power to be different, to be more loving and joyful and peaceful, and to resist temptation and to say no to the enemy. Yes. To sin and addictions and all of those things and to pray and see miracles happen. Yes. in others. Yes. That's what it means to be a spirit-filled life. And so as disciples, we pass on our faith. So be willing to pass the baton. If you are an already and you're an already believer, be willing to pass the baton. Being a disciple maker is not a 50-year dash. It's not even a marathon. The Christian life is a relay race. Mm -hmm. It takes a team and the church is the team. We are a team. Individual excellence helps all those gifts and talents God's given you. They help, but the church must work together. We must successfully pass on the baton. That's what God is calling us to do. And as we go into 2024 here at the jar, we're going to keep making disciple makers. We're going to keep yes. passing that baton. Yes. And we're going to say, it doesn't matter what you did in the past. What matters is you believe now and you are here. And we are going to keep you from getting into the pasture with the cows, yes. right? In the dark, 
We want to help you find a spirit-filled life yes. and what that means. And that's what we're here for. If you enjoyed our teaching today, we have great news. On January 7th, the JAR will be adding a second gathering. Starting with the new year, we will offer two times on Sunday, the new one at 10.30 a.m. and our current one at 4 p.m. Come learn how to be a disciple maker as God fills us so that we can empty for others. I am filled to be empty.